Today we um, conclude our final sequence of our Finding Enough series. I'm, I'm truly grateful for all of you for, for putting up with three of these now as, as part of the work for my doctoral program. And uh, I'm guessing after today we might say that we've all had enough of enough. Um, thank you especially to those of you who attended our dialogue session last Sunday where we had a really wonderful conversation about the passage last week and uh, looking ahead to this week, as well as our guiding question, um, what is enough? And then the follow-up, what's holding us back from that idea of enough? What's holding us back from a life of joy and contentment? As with the other series, I'll be lifting up this conversation in today's sermon as we meet, uh, as Miss Joanne said, a chief tax collector named Zacchaeus who pulls out all the stops to see Jesus, but in the end, we see that it's Jesus who sees him and beholds him as a child of Abraham. I invite you to listen now with open hearts and minds as we encounter God's word together from the 19th chapter of Luke's gospel, beginning with the first verse. He entered Jericho and was passing through it. A man was there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him, because he was going to pass that way. When Jesus came to that place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your place today. So he hurried down and was happy to welcome him. All who saw it began to grumble and said, He has gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. Then Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek out and save the lost. This is the word of the Lord, and thanks be to God. A couple months ago, I had the joy of going to the wedding of my childhood best friend. It was a blast catching up with him and my other buddies from high school as we celebrated our friend's wedding. I had the distinct privilege of serving two roles for this wedding. I was the officiant, a role I'm pretty used to by this point, but I was also a groomsman. Two roles with sometimes conflicting interests. This latter responsibility, though, meant that I had to get fitted for a tuxedo, something I probably hadn't done since my own wedding. It had been a little while since I went through this whole process, and I really forgot how much of an ordeal it was. As you go to the place and they size you up, they put a tux on you and they they chalk it up and put pins and needles in it and whatnot. Then when you go to pick it up, they check everything again and make a few more tweaks before you finally take it with you. The gentleman in charge of this process was truly meticulous. He saw this as his art, as his vocation. He wanted to make sure everything looked and fit just right. He was the living embodiment of the men's warehouse slogan, you're going to like the way you look. 
What stuck out to me about this experience, though, was that while each of us, while all of us groomsmen shared a lot in common, each of us varied in size and build, and so we each needed a slightly different tuxedo. Even if it was the same size, they each fit a little differently to our own bodies. The one my friend wore wouldn't have worked for me, and vice versa. I was reminded of this ordeal this week when thinking about Jesus' encounter with Zacchaeus. In the story, Jesus is nearing Jerusalem and he passes through the nearby town of Jericho. It's here that we meet Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector. And Luke really goes out of his way, friends, to describe just how similar Zacchaeus is to the rich ruler we met in our passage last Sunday. Both are described as wealthy persons. But perhaps even more important, Luke describes both men with the same Greek word, archon. This is the very word used to describe the man as a ruler in the previous chapter. The word archon means leader or ruler. But it's also part of Zacchaeus' job title as the chief or the lead tax collector, as an archon tax collector. Luke describes Zacchaeus just like the rich ruler, to make us think that their, that their stories, that the outcomes of their encounter with Jesus will be the same. That Zacchaeus, just like the ruler before him, will be crushed by the prospect of divesting himself of his wealth and possessions. But in true gospel form, friends, we are utterly surprised on how the story plays out. Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus, that is for sure. He can't see Jesus because of his short stature, which of course could mean because of his short physical size, but it also could refer to his social stature. As Miss Joanne said, tax collectors were almost universally despised by the Jewish people in first century Palestine. Not just because people in general don't love paying taxes, but because tax collectors in those days were in cahoots with the Roman Empire. In reality, though, tax collectors were more like pawns of the empire, who didn't so much apply for the job they had as they were assigned this role. In particular, they were assigned the task of paying the tax bill for their entire community, and they had to collect from their neighbors whatever they saw fit. An odd arrangement, for sure, and one that, that understandably led to forms of abuse, Either way, though, Zacchaeus can't see because of the crowd, and so he climbs up a tree to see Jesus, but soon it will become clear that it's Jesus who sees him. Unlike the rich ruler who goes to Jesus, Jesus goes to Zacchaeus, calling him by name and saying, I have to have dinner with you tonight in your home. This, of course, sets off the grumbling from the crowd following how could Jesus dine with such a person? We might expect Jesus to jump to Zacchaeus' defense here, as he has for other outcasts in the gospel. But here, if you notice, Zacchaeus takes his own defense, speaking to the grumbling crowd as he tells Jesus that he will give half of his possessions to the poor and that he'll repay anyone he's defrauded fourfold. The onlookers are stunned. He's not the greedy chief tax collector we all expected him to be. No, 
Instead, he's the very embodiment of John the Baptist's words at the beginning of Luke's gospel. As he said, whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none. As well as John's specific teaching to the tax collectors, saying, collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. You know, what's interesting here, friends, is that when Zacchaeus tells Jesus these things, our English Bibles translate his words as a future action. I will give. I will pay back. But in the Greek, the original Greek text, these are very simple present tense verbs. It's not saying something he's going to do. It's saying something he is doing. Lord, I give half of my possessions to the poor. I pay back anyone I've defrauded fourfold. Our English Bibles translate them as future for a particular reason, and scholars are actually pretty divided on this issue, whether we should understand Zacchaeus' words as something in the present or something he plans to do in the future. Our dialogue session last Sunday was pretty divided on this issue as well, and we had a good spirited discussion together on the matter. Some preferred to see and understand his words as a future action because it heightens Zacchaeus' transformation, his change upon meeting Jesus. Truly a powerful uh, interpretation there. On the other hand, some preferred to understand Zacchaeus' words as a present action, something he was currently doing. Not so much uh, because it, it heightens Jesus' role in changing Zacchaeus, but it heightens Jesus' role in reconciling Zacchaeus with this community, bringing him back in community with his neighbors who very clearly don't like the guy very much. I personally prefer the present tense understanding, but either option is really plausible here. What I do find, what I find even more striking, though, friends, is how differently Jesus treats Zacchaeus compared to the rich ruler we met just last Sunday in the previous chapter. These are almost back-to-back stories, back-to-back encounters of rich persons with Jesus, and Jesus gives them two completely different teachings. He tells the rich ruler to completely divest of his things. Then in the very next chapter, he commends, he pats Zacchaeus on the back for only giving half of his income and wealth to the poor. Scholar Luke Timothy Johnson quips that while Luke consistently talks about money and possessions, He does not talk about money and possessions consistently. Luke's Jesus does not provide a universal, one-size-fits-all teaching regarding money and possessions. The Jesus we meet in Luke's gospel does not so much want uniformity as he wants intentionality. He he hopes to spurn uh, critical ethical reflection on this thing that, that guides and is such a big part of our lives and the world around us. In this light, these different teachings allow each person to wrestle with the sometimes conflicting wisdom that we might discern a faithful and fitting way to handle our money and resources. Now, as you've heard me say throughout the um, series, my favorite way of thinking about this is using a term that was coined by theologian Elizabeth Hinson Hasty. 
called an ethic of enough. In our insatiable culture of more, better, newer, we need an ethic, we need a way of being in the world which determines what is enough and to seek a life of contentment rather than more. We can take the diversity of teachings found in Luke's gospel regarding wealth and faithfully discern our own ethic for what is enough for our own circumstance, our own life circumstance. To discern what is enough for ourselves and our own needs, but also what is enough for our neighbors, for those in need, that all of God's children might live and flourish together. When you think about it, friends, this is exactly what Zacchaeus does in our story. Whether you read it as present or future action, Zacchaeus has determined for himself what is enough. And he's set, he's built an ethic around this to help his neighbors in need and to right any previous injustices. He's determined what is enough for him and he has built an ethic, he's built a life of contentment around that very understanding. To me, friends, that is truly powerful. In our dialogue session last Sunday, we spoke about this idea of an ethic of enough at length. Our participants shared that discerning what is enough is not just a material matter that is dealing with money and possessions. It's also a uniquely relational one. As in, it's one that is best understood in the context of one's community, in the context of your own relationships. Our participants also shared just how contextual and unique this ethic is to the individual, really to each household. In other words, what is enough for me may not be enough for you and vice versa. But also, what's enough for you today may not have been enough for you 10 years ago and will not be enough for you five years from now. Just like the rental tux that was fitted for me wouldn't have fit any of my friends and vice versa, my own ethic of enough will not fit yours. Yet the gospel implores each of us to wrestle with and discern this ethic, ideally in relationship and conversation together, that we might seek out together a life of contentment, a life of enough. Zacchaeus, I think, is our patron saint for those of means today to discern, articulate, and live out our own ethic of enough and a culture of more. There's one more thing that I want to make sure we know. Did you notice how Zacchaeus just has absolutely no hesitation here about divesting of his wealth and status in order to follow Jesus? Unlike the rich ruler who desperately clings to his money, his possessions, his status, Zacchaeus has detached himself from all these things. It's in this act of detachment and divestment through which Zacchaeus is no longer identified by Jesus and the crowd as the chief tax collector and a traitor to his neighbors, but rather Jesus here affirms his true identity as a child of God, as a son of Abraham. In finding his own ethic of enough, Zacchaeus remembers and is affirmed for who he truly is and how God sees him as God's own beloved child. 
Friends, as we conclude this series on finding enough, I'd like to close with the story which began our series back in July to bring our discussion full circle on the topic. I never repeat a story or illustration, but let's be honest, friends. A lot of us weren't here that particular Sunday three months ago, and a lot of us that were here may not remember it, so let's give it a go again, all right? John Bogle, who is the legendary founder of the Vanguard investment firm, shares this story about a party on Shelter Island long ago, which was hosted by a billionaire. In attendance at that party were renowned authors Kurt Vonnegut and Joseph Heller. At one point during the party, Vonnegut tells his friend Heller that their host, who was a hedge fund manager, had made more money in a single day than Heller had earned from his wildly popular novel, Catch-22, in all of its history. Heller responds to Vonnegut's words, Yes, but I have something he will never have. Enough. Friends, with Zacchaeus as our guide, may we discern and live out our own ethic of enough. While this ethic will look different for each person, it is always one which strives for contentment rather than more. And it's an ethic which seeks enough not just for ourselves and our own household, but enough for all of God's children. As we discern and live out this way of being in the world, friends, may we remember that we not only have enough, but that we are enough as God's own beloved children. May it be so, friends. Amen.